Uh, and I want to talk about today, I want to talk about what is the one desire that has driven us to be here this morning? What has driven you to come to Celebration Church, to sing songs of worship with other people, uh, to listen to a sermon, to, to give of our finances, to give of our time? Maybe you're an usher or a greeter and work in a kid's area. What drives us to connect with church? Why do we gather? Why are you here this morning instead of doing really what I would rather be doing? I'd rather be at home crying over my NCAA bracket. Um, Missouri lost and Duke lost and the second seeds losing in the first round are really going deep into my bracket and I'm not going to do very good. I'd like to be home doing that, watching Sports Center, or maybe you might want to be at home watching uh, Matt Lauer, see what he's up to on TV. Uh, uh, maybe you'd just be sleeping and trust me, there are millions of people right now that that's exactly what they're doing and yet we find ourselves at church here this morning. Well, there might be some reasons why you're here. Uh, maybe one of them is you wanted to get your kids out of your hair for like an hour and a half. So you come to church, put them in a classroom, let them take care of them for an hour and a half so you can have a little time to yourself. Uh, that's probably a small reason why you're here this morning. Uh, maybe you're the kid that got drugged here, and that's why you're at church this morning. Your parents drug you to church, and that's why you're here. Well, welcome to Celebration Church. Uh, maybe it's just because you've always come. It's kind of like out of religious obligation. You grew up going to church and you believe in Jesus and you're a Christian and you come to church. Well, it's a good thing to come to church. So I'm glad you're at church this morning. But I believe that there's a primary reason, that there's a deepest reason that's inside of each and every person that's here today. That every person that's listening to this message, you're here today because there's a deep longing. There is a void that's been placed inside of you. There's a direction inside of you that has you running towards God, that has you searching for God. I'd like to suggest that the deepest longing inside of all of mankind is the pursuit of God, the desire to connect with God. And we read about this in Ecclesiastes, and uh, Ecclesiastes is kind of a cool book, and it, it's, you know... It's a bit dark at times and kind of depressing, and he talks about how everything is meaningless and all that kind of stuff, uh, and you kind of just want to tell him to take it easy a little bit. He's kind of just a little too intense, but uh, he talks about how all these things are meaningless, chasing after things of the world, uh, and he says in chapter 3 in verse 11, uh, this book was written by Solomon. Uh, he's the smartest guy that had ever lived up until now. Uh, he uh, had accumulated more wealth than anybody that had ever walked on the face of the earth. Uh, he is, uh, in many people's opinion, the wealthiest man that has ever lived even up until today. He's accumulated mass amounts of gold and silver. He has, uh, he's got a harem. So he's got women all over the place. By the world's standards, this guy has achieved all sorts of things. And yet he's going to tell us how meaningless all of these things are. And we read about it in Ecclesiastes, but he's got a really unique verse in there. In verse, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He, and he's talking about God, that being God, has set eternity in the hearts of men. That verse is telling us that God has placed inside of all men and all women a desire to pursue God, that he has placed eternity in your heart. And so then he tells us about this grand experiment he undertakes in life. And he does this in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon tells us how he pursues all these things and how at the end they're meaningless. And we'll read about it. The first one he talks about is pursuing wisdom. 
He asks for wisdom from God, and God gives him wisdom, and he's one smart guy. And in chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, I, the teacher. Uh, this is the, uh, uh, the, the wisdom chapters in the Bible. There's all these books in the middle of the Old Testament, like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs and Job and Ecclesiastes is one of these, and it's going to give us wisdom on how to do life. And so he's going to teach us something here. He says, I applied my mind to study and to explore wisdom, all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. So he tells us, hey, look, I've pursued wisdom. And I know there's people, we as Americans, we love to gain wisdom. We love to get smarter. And it's not a bad thing. But we elevate it to the ultimate thing in our lives. And when we take it from a good thing to an ultimate thing and put it in a position of God, Solomon's going to tell us it's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. That if we just pursue that, that it, as the ultimate thing in life, it's going to disappoint us every time. He says, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I even applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. So he does what a lot of us also do. We just go crazy. We just go after madness and folly. So we turn towards all sorts of pleasures like drinking and sex and all sorts of other things in our life except God. Or we push God way down the ladder and we pursue those other things. And he says, hey, I learned that this too is just chasing after the wind. You know, the wind, you can see the effects of wind. You can see it blowing the leaves on a tree. You can see it blowing through the blades of grass. Sometimes dust gets sucked up in wind and you can see it swirling around. But you can never get your arms around the wind. You can never grasp it. You can never capture it. You can never get a hold of it. And that's the picture that Solomon is trying to give us, that you're never going to get your arms completely around it. It's never going to completely satisfy. The second thing he looks at is pleasures. And he wants to let us know that running after pleasures won't fulfill the desire that we have for God. He says in chapter 2, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. Dude, chill out, Solomon. Laugh, have a good time. But he says, no, it's, it's madness. Again, this is an intense guy. He says, but, uh, uh, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the last few days of their lives. So he does the bucket list. He's got the bucket list going, and he does all of those things. He says, I undertook great projects. I built for myself houses and planted vineyards. Uh, I made gardens and parks, so this guy's a philanthropist. I'll try giving money to really nice things in the community. And he plants uh, all kinds of fruit trees in them. He says, I made reservoirs of water uh, to, to flourish the trees. I bought male and female slaves who had, and had other slaves who were born in my house. He's seeing generations grow up before him. He says, I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. This guy's accumulated mass amounts of wealth. A lot of us, we chase after money, thinking that that's going to satisfy. He says, I acquired male and female singers. Someday if I get really rich, I'm going to get myself some male and female singers. 
that sounds like a really awesome thing to have. So he gets singers. I guess it's a cultural thing. You know, you got money back then. You hire yourself some singers to have around. He says he got a harem as well. Uh, the delights of a man's heart. Mm. So he says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom, it stayed with me. I denied nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart, no pleasure. I took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So pleasures, he says, as the ultimate pursuit in life are never going to satisfy. And a lot of us, we run after pleasures. We run after those things thinking that that is going to satisfy the need that we have that's really for God. The next thing he talks about that we'll look at is riches. He goes through a bunch of things, but we're going to jump to riches in 5. Chapter 5, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. We think, man, if I can just get enough money, then I'm going to find some meaningfulness in life. I'm going to catch the wind. He says running after money is never going to do that. That You can't run after finances and think that you're going to get what you want in life. It isn't going to happen. In 19, he actually says this. He says, moreover, when God gives a man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, that this is actually a gift from God. That the ability to even enjoy the money you got, the ability to enjoy the job that you have, he says, is a gift from God. Most people don't have that gift. Most people are very unsatisfied in those things. And then what he does is he goes through this great experiment in his life. And then he goes all the way to the end of the book. And he finishes in chapter 12 and verse 13 telling us this. He says, now that all has been heard, I did all this stuff. I, I pursued wisdom. I pursued pleasures. I pursued madness, just going crazy. I did all these things. I pursued money. I did all these things. And after all of that, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I'd like to suggest that the reason why you're here at church today is this, that God has set eternity in your hearts. There is something in you that has said yes to Jesus, and there's desires that just weren't there before. Maybe you've got the desire to be at church. You actually want to get together with other Christians and study the Bible or pray or understand the Bible. You actually want to connect with God. That is all, those are all signs in your life that you are responding to that desire that God has put there and placed on all mankind. So what I want to challenge us with this morning is we need to fight to do what Solomon encouraged us with at the end of Ecclesiastes, to fear God and to keep his commandments. It's what we are designed to do. And that's the place in life where we find joy. It's the place in life where we find peace. It's the place in life where we find the grace we need from God to succeed in life, to get through the hard things in life, is when we fear God and keep his commandments. But what happens is that, like Solomon, we're far too easily pleased with the lesser desires. Uh, we're too easily pleased with pursuing wisdom and, and knowledge and pleasures, going crazy and money. And we believe that these are such strong desires in our life that there's no choice but to pursue those things as ultimate in our life. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a great quote. He says this, 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that says it well. I think we are too easily pleased with the lesser desires of life. And we fill our life with those things instead of keeping God in the middle. And yet, we're encouraged throughout scripture. We see Solomon talking about it in Ecclesiastes, talking about enjoying your life. We're supposed to grow in wisdom. We're supposed to grow in knowledge. We see men and women in the Bible growing in these areas, growing financially, growing in success. We're supposed to enjoy and steward life well. So here's the question. How do we, as busy Americans, fear God? How do we pursue God as busy Americans? We got to pay the bills. The price of gas is going up. We got to get junior to soccer. We've got birthday parties. We've got life to do. We've got relationships. How do we, being such busy men and women, fear God and keep his commandments? How do we pursue him? Well, here's the first part. It's this. Fear God. It's what we were created for. It's what fills the void that's inside of us. He's placed faith in us. And then the second part is this. Keep his commandments. And that's what we spent the better part of 2011 and 2012 going through here at Celebration Church. We had this big series on faith in 2011. In 2012, we've been talking about the message of Jesus as we're going through the book of Matthew. You might call it keeping his commandments. And we need to do that. We need to hear the message of Jesus. Here's some scriptures on building your faith. We've been in this one a lot. Romans 10 and 17 says, Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It is important to come to church and hear the message of Jesus Christ. That the Bible says you want to have your faith built, you got to hear the words about Jesus. You got to get it in here. You've got to hear the message about Jesus. It's great to come and hear these messages, especially this message about Jesus Christ and his commands. It'll absolutely transform and build your life. It'll put faith inside of you. You've got to get, a, get to church and hear these things. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says this, for we live by faith, not by sight. That we aren't supposed to live just by what we see. That we're supposed to live by what we don't see. We're supposed to live life by faith. 2 Corinthians 4 and 18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That the things we see will all end up as dust as they started. But what is unseen will last forever, the Bible says. So Solomon would encourage us and say, Look beyond what you can see and look to faith. Have faith. Faith is looking beyond our five senses, what we can see, what we can feel, touch, hear, taste, smell. It's looking beyond those things, and it's building our sixth sense. And I don't mean seeing dead people, all right? It's not seeing dead people. See, faith for the life of the believer is the sixth sense. You've got to spend time building faith, and faith, the scripture said, comes by hearing. So we've had this as our primary text in the message of Jesus, Matthew 28, 19. So remember, it starts with faith and completes itself in faithfulness, keeping his commandments. It said in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples 
of all nations. This is the Great Commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We've got to learn what Jesus has commanded. So I want to take the rest of our time together and look at a few key things that I think are absolutely critical to have in our lives if we're going to successfully be disciples of Jesus Christ. If we're going to do what Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments. What are a couple key things we have to have in our life? Uh, I've been reading through the book of Daniel. And I love the book of Daniel. It's just such great stories. You can read it like a, like a novel. It's just an awesome book. And, and I'm reading through it and Daniel gives us a couple of real amazing keys about how to fear God, how to keep his commandments, how to grow in faith. So we're going to look at it and see how his relationships and how his daily connection with God gave him the grace to succeed in life and the grace to get through the junk of life. We'll look at Daniel chapter 2 and look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar is an absolute psychopath. He is a brutal king dictator. He is chopping people into pieces. He is throwing people in fiery furnaces. Nebuchadnezzar is nuts, and Daniel finds himself working for this crazy man. So we'll read about it. It says this, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. You think he's going nuts. It says his mind troubled him, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. The astrologers answered the king. They're always buttering him up. He says, may the king live forever. King, you're awesome. We love you, king. Don't kill us, king. Because they know that if you do anything wrong, this guy is going to kill you. So they butter him up first. And they say, tell your servants the dream, and then we're going to interpret it. These guys can't interpret anything. Uh, they are a circus sideshow act. These guys, they're, they're, they're con artists. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's catching on to them in his second year. And he says, uh, I, I've, I've got, this is what I firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and then interpret it, I'll have you cut into tiny little pieces with a toenail clipper and I'll have your houses turned into a pile of rubble. I'm gonna drop a bomb on your house and kill everybody in it. I'm gonna cut you into tiny little pieces, painful death, unless you tell me what my dream was and then interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and then we'll interpret it, king. The king answered, I'm certain you're just trying to buy some time. So, because you've realized what I firmly decided, if you don't tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. I'm going to chop you up. I'm going to kill everybody in your house. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping that your situation's going to change. So then, tell me the dream, and I'll let you know, and I'll know that you can interpret it for me. And the astrologers answered the king, man, there's no way we can do what you've asked. There's nobody that could do what you're asking, king. No one that's ever lived ever worked for any king can do that. This made the king so angry and furious, the Bible says, that he ordered the execution of all the wise guys of Babylon. So the decree was put to place that all the wise men are being put to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death also. See, Daniel was one of the wise men in his kingdom. He worked for the king, and the king saying, Daniel, you're going to die too. So they go out. So when Arioch the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. Daniel spoke with them with wisdom and tact. Uh, he asked the king's officer, so he's a smart guy. He says, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this, Daniel went into the king. Gets him face to face with him and says, uh, you know, I can interpret that dream for you, but you're going to have to give me some time. 
you got to let me go home. I'm going to work on this. Give me some time. So the king lets him go. And then Daniel, this is the key verse. It says, Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. So the first thing we see from Daniel is that he surrounded himself with men and women that were going to encourage him in his faith. He surrounded himself with people that were going to pray for him. Let me tell you, if you are going to fear God and keep his commandments, if you're going to have faith grow in your life, you've got to have people in your life that are going to encourage you in your faith, that you can stand next to and say, can you pray for me? I'm going through this thing. You've got to surround yourself with other men and women that are going to build you in your faith. Proverbs 27 and 17 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, a knife can do really good or a knife can do really bad. For example, cooking versus killing. Cooking good, killing bad, right? We saw Solomon, or, or, or not Solomon, we saw Nebuchadnezzar. He's a psycho. He uses a really sharp knife and chops people into pieces. That's a bad thing. You don't want to be chopped into pieces. And that's what sin is like. The Bible says that sin leads to death. That if you chase after sin, that it's ultimately going to kill you. Sin leads to death. And the more you run with people that are going to encourage you in that direction, it is going to kill you. And it's going to sharpen your life. And it's going to sharpen your knife. And it'll destroy you. And then the Bible says that if you surround yourself with people that will grow in your faith, that you're going to sharpen your knife. I love to cook. Cooking is a good thing. It makes good food to eat. And I like cooking with a sharp knife. I'm a pretty good cook, actually. And nothing like cooking with a sharp knife. Sometimes I'll sharpen it just before I cook. So I can chop those vegetables. So I can chop the meat. And I'm not bruising it. I'm getting nice, clean cuts. And it tastes better that way. And I like to cook. And then I like to eat it. And cooking is good. Killing is bad. So you can be sharpened in both directions. Who are you going to surround yourself with? We'd encourage you, find some people that you can do life with. You got to get to know some other people that trust God in their lives and it will stand next to you. The second thing we see in Daniel is this. We must take time in our day in, day out lives to connect with the living, almighty, powerful God. Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel in the lion's den. It says this, it pleased Darius, he's the new, the new king. It pleased him to appoint 100 and satraps to rule throughout the kingdom uh, with three administrators over them, one of them who is Daniel. So we see Daniel. He is growing in the kingdom. He's getting promotions. Uh, he's obviously a wise, smart, tactful guy. He is growing. He is dedicating himself to being good at his job. Those are good things. Daniel's doing that stuff, and he's getting promoted. And so it says that the satraps were made accountable uh, to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself amongst these administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities, so he's great at what he does, that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Daniel's about to get a promotion again. At this, the administrators and satraps try to find grounds and charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Daniel's good at his job, and he's not corrupt. He's not doing anything wrong in his job. They can find no grounds to get rid of this guy. It says they could find no corruption in him uh, because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. 
So he's great at doing what he does. So finally, these guys, they got to devise a plan. They say, you know what? We're never going to find any charges against this guy unless it has something to do with the law of God. So they start to conspire. So they put together this plan. They put together a plan to say, you know what? If we can get the king to put a law in place that forces Daniel to break the law of man that goes against the law of God, then we've got something on this guy. We just got to get him to break the law. And the only way to do that is to force him to follow God's commandments over man's commandments because we know he's going to follow God. So this is what they do. The administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius, may you live forever, king. We love you, king. You're awesome, king. We've all come together and we've decided that it would be great if you would issue a month-long edict, make it a holiday that no one can pray to any other god except for you, great king. Let's pray to you. And then let this be, and it can't be altered. Put it into writing so it can't be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius puts the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, here's the key verse. He went home to his upstairs room where his window opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. And here's what I want to draw your attention to. It says, comma. Just as he was in the habit of doing. See, it's not the, the key isn't that you go upstairs to your room, that you open your window, get on your knees. It's not even that you necessarily pray. The key is that Daniel had a daily connection with the living God. And you've got to find that in your life. You've got to find time in your life to connect with God. That that gave Daniel the grace to get through this situation. You've got to find that in your life. It's got to be in your habit of doing. See, Daniel's getting promoted. He's connecting with God. Daniel's about to be chopped into pieces. He's connecting with God. He's running to friends. Daniel's about to be thrown in a pit with a bunch of lions that are going to eat him. And he runs to God. Long story short, Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. I don't know how many lions went there, but there had to be a lot of lions. Because the Bible says that, that God silences the mouth of the lions. They don't even roar. And they don't eat Daniel. That he's safe. And that this speaks volumes about God to the king. That Daniel gets thrown in. So he gets thrown into the pit with the lions and then he comes out. Darius is so ticked off that he grabs all the other wise guys and their wives and their kids and throws them in the pit. And the Bible says that their bones were crushed before the lions even got a bite. There had to be a lot of lions in there. Talk about a freaky mind bender being thrown in a pit with the lions. There had to be something in Daniel's daily routine and resignation to God that helped him to face that. We need some of that Daniel spirit on us. The ability to face a trial. The ability to face success and promotion and to have that connection with the almighty living God. We've got to find that in our lives. Let me encourage you, find time in your daily routine to connect with the living God. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to have success as believers in Jesus Christ. And we need to follow the wisdom from Solomon in Ecclesiastes when he says, don't chase after the things of this world as the ultimate pursuit in your life. It's like chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. You're never going to catch it. Instead, respond with what Solomon said at the end of the book, the conclusion of the matter, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? That eternity that you talked about being set in my heart, 
I've not responded to that. Well, today is the day to respond. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the message about Jesus. Jesus is God become man, sent to seek and save those that are lost. Today is the day to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us. Father God, I pray for each person that hears the word about God this morning. Your scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Jesus Christ. I pray for those that would hear the message of Christ this morning, that Jesus truly is God, become man, that he came to save us. Father, I pray that you came on a rescue mission to seek and save us and that there would be those that respond to you today. I pray that that Daniel spirit would be on us, that we would surround ourselves with men and women that would encourage us in our faith, that help us to discover that daily routine of connecting with you, God, that it's in that connecting that we'll find grace in our lives. Help us in the midst of our busy lives, Father, not to forget about you, God, that we are called to fear God and keep his commandments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.